With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. All right, everyone. Bringing in John Daigle. Honestly, we, we should have gotten this done a long time ago. That's on me. It's on me that, that uh, Mr. Daigle has never been on the show before. But, uh, John, very excited to, to chat with you. We, we have some real actual football news that we can talk about as we, as we bullshit here. And uh, I, I think my prediction of the all-time musical chairs offseason is going to happen. I think we're just going to see like 12 teams with a new quarterback next year, maybe more. First time caller, long time listener, even though I am on sports grade pod with you now, probably twice a year, three times yeah, a year if roughly. We in the off season. Uh, this NFL season though, it's a lot of fun. It's already been chaotic. This is what we love from the NBA season. And this is now suddenly what we're getting from the NFL. They're not getting guaranteed contracts, of course, which is what they want a la MLB, even though we see how that, how that is going right now for MLB players, but the players are getting their way now and demanding their way out, especially out of terrible situations. We see Carson Wentz now, which by the way, if you're a Colts fan, if you're the Colts in general, you've got to be ecstatic that someone did not know how to negotiate properly, right? Like what was a disaster of a deal to begin with now suddenly becomes a first round pick for one year of Wentz and a third round pick, which when you look at it like that, not too terrible at all. Uh, taking a chance on Wentz is a much easier pill to swallow when you can unload that full 28 million contract, even before I believe his 5 million roster bonus becomes eligible in a couple yeah. of days. Washington takes it all on instead. Um, and honestly, long term, it's not that big of a deal for Washington as well. Like, of course, they are now stuck in purgatory for one more year as a right. bridge quarterback. But quietly, Wentz doesn't have any more guaranteed money beyond this season. So I would just imagine they're sucking it up for one year and then we see him on another team next year again. Probably you're right, because then then he'll be eligible for the Andy Dalton contracts where the NFL will have decided he's like, the 29th best quarterback and therefore he'll be eligible to make like 13 and a half million dollars a year instead of what what is he 29 million is what his cap number was like when he originally agreed to this deal or whatever um yeah i mean i i i don't think it's like so i just think it's a terrible idea for washington because i don't think carson wentz is any good and giving up the assets and like it's just like i just see no upside to this move i would rather you know, just, just take your fucking lumps with Kenny Pickett or whatever. Like, uh, like that's probably my biggest discrepancy for most front offices is like, I think about this first round picks bust all the time. It's just that quarterbacks that bust in the first round get like, it, it's way more publicized when a first round 
like when Josh Rosen bus, right? Like just when those guys don't work out. But if I was running a team, I would just be taking quarterbacks all the time because when one of them works out, it changes the whole direction of your franchise. Like I, I, what, what is Washington's first round pick this year? What, where do they pick at? Uh, that's a terrific question. I'll go to, I'll go to Tankathon real quick and we'll get it. Um, cause I, I would imagine that there is, there will be someone there. So they pick at 11. Yeah. I mean, whichever, whoever is, ends up being the number one, whoever the NFL decides, whether it's Corral, whether it's Willis, whoever, that guy's probably gone at 11, but the second guy's probably there at 11. And, and I know people are saying like, you know, read, read the tea leaves. Like the fact that there's so much movement on the veteran quarterback suggests that none of these guys are that good. But I mean, we saw, we saw the Cardinals do this, right? They take Rosen. He sucks. They reload. They move on. Um, that's what the Jets should have done with Darnold. Like, they're, I don't know. I just think these teams need to be less risk averse with the first round quarterbacks is, is where I'm headed here. It's something you see beat writers say all the time, but I think they're, they're onto something. They're just viewing it incorrectly. And that let's say Baker Mayfield, for instance, where it's like, well, this was our next option. So of course you stick with Mayfield. Right. And I think the answer is like you said, no, like you take a chance knowing your next guy could be worse than Mayfield, but you have to be better than Mayfield. So you take that chance because you're going for the ceiling. Cause having with, Mayfield doesn't do shit for you. So it's so, exactly, so it's not good Mayfield, enough. And, and what, what is the difference between winning 10 games and losing in the first round, you know, losing in the divisional round or losing in the wild card round and winning six games and not I guess the revenue stuff like what is a home what is a what is a road playoff game worth for a team I don't I I know that that teams really like to get the home playoff game but how much money is a road playoff game worth it can't be enough to be like well we got to give Baker Mayfield one more year like teams should be way more aggressive in that respect I think especially when the personnel around the quarterback is so intact like Denver just did uh it's Something that has stuck out with me for a while, Robert May said it in season on the Athletic Football Show, which is just an absolutely awesome listen every Sunday night, Monday morning uh, in season. And it's that teams know once they draft a quarterback, their clock starts. Like they, coaches know and GMs that then they have two or three years and then they have to get the hell out because that project failed. So that's why they take their time doing it. But at the same time, you have to do it because for Derek Carr, for Baker Mayfield, for Jimmy Garoppolo, there is no room for error. Literally everything has to be right. So unless you have the perfect team in place around them, and even then they make it hard sometimes. And so like, Derek Carr with the Browns would be better, I think, because it is b- better personnel in mm-hmm. Cleveland. But at the same time, we're also talking about the AFC now. Just look around. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, now Russell Wilson. Like, these guys aren't good like enough. Like, two, two of those guys, that. two of those guys probably miss the playoffs this upcoming year, just the way, just the Every way year works. for the next, what, two decades? At least a decade. Like, every single year. This is the murderer's row now. Like, if anything, you're trying to get to the NFC and take a chance. And that, you know, what teams should be factoring that in to their stuff too. Like, like, honestly, if you want to view it through that lens, maybe it makes more sense for Washington to make this, this, you know, kind of bridge move because their division is so bad. Nine wins might get it done. Whereas if you're in the AFC, you need to be way more aggressive because you have Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert sitting there at, and, and Joe Burrow, like sitting there. And it's like, well, 
we got to be better in those teams and beating those teams is going to be really hard. That's why Brady leaving at this time is certainly interesting. Uh, and I've heard some very sharp people and it wasn't just two, it was more have mentioned that they don't think Brady's retired and give a few reasons. Uh, and you know, put however much weight you want to this, but I have heard the 49ers linked to him and we know how much Kyle Shanahan hates Trey Lance. And it just makes a lot of sense since the NFC is essentially wide open or with Aaron Rodgers and wide open. I mean, what do we, what do we make of the Trey Lance thing? Do you think, do you think it's true that he wanted Mac Jones and then got bullied out of it by, by everyone saying that it was a, was a terrible deal? Like what, like, why does he hate Trey Lance? Like it makes, it makes no sense to me to watch Jimmy Garoppolo fail for you and be like, you know who I don't want? The guy who's the exact opposite, the guy who will take chances, the guy who, I mean, Lance is sort of like a microcosm of what we're talking about of being more or less risk averse because he is going to be just taking a chance on Lance in general is super not risk averse. It's super risk intensive because he could be anything. It genuinely seems like a lot happened behind the scenes, especially at practice that we don't know about. Uh, that is the only reason why he would have such a tumultuous relationship with him. Otherwise, what we've seen, like he's raw. Of course he's raw. Uh, he right. missed an entire season of football, essentially. The and kid, he's 21 was, still. Exactly. He's, he's literally a kid. He's younger than he's younger than Corral, younger than Howell, and younger than Malik Willis. I think the the only quarterback who's younger than him is Pickett in this in this draft class. It's certainly frustrating. I wish we knew more about what's going on behind the scenes, but all we know is that I don't think there's been a single time, <laughs> even when Lance was forced to start, he made two spot starts this past year, even like against the Texans late in the year. Uh, there, it wasn't really complimentary. It was like Lance will start, and then when Garoppolo comes back, he's going to be back under center. And as we've seen time and time again from Garoppolo, who, funny enough, it now sounds like that's who the Colts have pinpointed to take over for Carson Wentz for whatever reason. Uh, Funny enough, like Garoppolo comes back and it's the same thing. It's always the same thing. It's good enough until it's not because the one throw he needs to make, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know. And I guess maybe, maybe the answer is, you know, NFL teams don't view it that simply, you know, it's not as simple as, as championship or bust. And sometimes it's fine to win 10 games and you know, that the fans are reasonably happy. You're making money. Although every NFL team makes so much money that I, I don't know. Like it's a little bit different. Like with an NBA team, maybe you could tell me that like, like the, the Pacers famously never tank until this year because no one goes to the games and the owners don't make any money if they're really bad, like things like that. But it, that I don't, I don't buy that as much as the NFL since they all make so much money. That's what's frustrating. I mean, I could talk about this for the entire show, honestly. What's frustrating about the NFL product, as much as I love it, uh, as much as I'm living my dream job, talking about it and writing about it, it's that these individuals, the decision makers at the top say they'll do anything to win. Most of them think that. The issue is that they won't do anything to win. They'll do anything to win their way. And right. most of the time, that's complete opposite of what it takes to win, and they won't get out of their own way. The Giants are a really interesting one because Mara finally got out of his own way and surrounded himself with the correct yes men. And you started 
seeing how it trickled down from the top. Like Joe Schoen, just as GM, was a tremendous hire. But then from there on, to basically get it right from the top down to where we think the Giants already have the right process. And uh, Brandon Brown, assistant GM, who's basically scouted pro personnel since 2012, uh, even recently with the Eagles. Brian Dable, of course, who should have been a head coach in last year's coaching cycle, but the Chargers passed on him. Mike Kafka, who's worked with Patrick Mahomes the past few years. And then Don Martindale, who just fell into their laps, was the scapegoat of the Ravens having so many injuries. That already is getting the process correct. We're going to see what happens under center. But either way, like Giants fans should be excited because something finally went the complete opposite direction of how it went before. 100%. So along those lines, what was the best coaching hire for you this offseason? I think I just spoil it. I think it just took all my content because that's what it was for me. And I'm still interested to know what they're going to do under center, even though we've seen enough and we can connect enough tea leaves to know that it sounds like Mitch Trubisky is going to fall in there. I, I think it's Trubisky, man. Like I, yeah. I think, I think, I think that they, you know, they bring him in to Buffalo. He's, I mean, he's basically ahead of Daniel Jones in terms of understanding what that transition that, you know, that the coaching staff from Buffalo over to New York wants to do. I mean, it, it seems like they want Trubisky pretty bad. And I'm curious to know if he's going to get a one-year, two-year, three-year deal, if only because we know they're not going to pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. They're already starting to get rid of the entire Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman era on their personnel. Uh, And it's interesting because no matter who starts there, even if Trubisky starts, and you've been to the streets probably more than me. I'm currently trying to help launch a golf site as well as keep up with NFL free agent news. Uh, But Dable is going to unlock the legs of whomever starts there. Whoever starts. Because both options have juice. Um, Remember when we started playing Josh Allen over the last quarter of the season in DFS, it wasn't for his arm, even though that certainly helped in some games. But because only 21 of his 64 carries from week 14 on were scrambles. The remaining 67% of his carries were design runs from Dable. Like he understands what he has. And both of those guys, Trubisky and Daniel Jones can do similar things. And so I think they're going to be uh, smart, great late round best ball options. The issue also with best ball now is that especially an underdog, it's too sharp. And so both players would probably just get steamed in that instance. I mean, that's, I mean, and, and the market movers, you know, like, like whoever is, is really touting it. They have a huge impact on underdog. Cause like, not I look I love underdog it's the best Mm -hmm. it's so hard to draft there because the the player pool is very smart and it's not that big like the like I I would actually love to get like um unique players who drafted like 10 or more teams in best ball mania or the puppies like I would love to get that information from them because I bet it's a lot smaller than you would anticipate and I bet a huge chunk of those people subscribe to four for four, subscribe to ETR, subscribe mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, just, just all these roto grinders, whatever, you know, spike week, whatever, whatever it may be. I would bet, I would bet pretty heavily. And we saw that with the rookie quarterbacks last year, right? Fields, Lance, Lawrence, those guys got mega steamed just because they were really being touted as kind of like skeleton key. And, you know, none of them and none of them end up um, being really impactful, but yeah, those guys are, are going to get mega steamed, I think. Something I definitely want to work on for speaking of underdog and best ball content this year is that uh, the fun 
is almost getting zapped away personally because we are so structural and sound now. We have become drafting robots. Um, I just want to go back to being on the toilet and drafting a fast draft. Like I, I want it to be that simple and fun for everyone. And so we could do that intelligently, but producing that kind of content is sort of where my brain's been at before my best ball tiers go up here at the end of March after free agency. Um, that's kind of what I'm working on, as well as how do we embrace the chaos more? Because since everything is so sound and structural, uh, Eric Beinfor, Spike Week does a good job of this. Karain Overzet talk about this a lot. But yeah, how do we how do we genuinely accept being right against what we know is right? And that's what I'm working on trying to figure out right now. I mean, for for my part. I do have a ton of fun drafting because mm-hmm. I, I have accepted. I, I think when you accept that the season long slate is it's just one slate. It's like one weekend in yeah. the NFL in terms of like, you know, of NFL DFS in terms of decision-making and you can make a lot of plus EV decisions, but understand that just because a decision is plus EV doesn't mean you're going to be uh, returning money. And, and, you know, like I, right now I am on, because it's, I need it to be fun. I am on drafting exile right now. I am, uh, I made the decision, you know, all of these off season drafts, you know, they, they have the, the big board up and all those things. I'm, I'm out. I'm just not doing it until after the NFL draft. Cause I know I'm going to get in, you know, it's going to be August 2nd. I'm going to be registering for my 317th fast draft. And I'm just going to be like, I I'm so tired. And like mm-hmm. my, it's so repetitive and I've drafted Javante Williams at the end of the first round so many times. It's like, I just am like coloring by numbers. Um, so like that, and that, and, and, and also like working it into like a, like having a part of your day be like your drafting routine or whatever. So that you're not just doing it like constantly all the time. That is, that's a big part of it too. Like I have my times a day where I'm drafting. Completely agree. The only frustrating thing about that is that genuinely, we all know it too, one of the best edges in best ball is drafting rookies right now because, oh, yeah. you know, Clyde Edwards Lair is like the best example in that it just takes one surprise on the first or second day and their ADP jumps by five to seven rounds. Uh, so we are both of us, cause I'm doing it as well. Both of us are missing out on that segment and portion of the year for best ball. Other than that though, we know it's, it's amazing how quickly it's expanded because of underdog, uh, it's created jobs genuinely over the last year 100%. and a half. It's made the NFL just single-handedly a year-round sport. There is no more windows anymore, so much so that like you and I have to escape the feeling of being left out because we also know that like if we get involved now, like you said, we will be burned out in August. And that's kind of when we need to be refreshed since the regular season is such a grind for us who do content in year. So yeah, it's, it's definitely learning something new about football and fantasy. And it's just, it's completely changed the conversation too about Mm -hmm. the way that people talk about fantasy football. Like you really have to specify like, oh, I'm talking about best ball tournaments. I'm talking about season long managed leagues. And like, I would say most of like the the questions and comments and like interactions and stuff I get, uh, you know, on Twitter and, and, you know, via the Patreon and stuff is like, people are just super interested in best ball. Like they just, they, they, they just love these tournaments and, I mean, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool because the, the price points for like high stakes leagues before are like, it's pretty prohibitive, right? Like, like even the, uh, you know, the, the football guys players championship, like $350, like people might not want to play in one league that's $350, but they might want to play 
in 20 leagues for 350 bucks. And so it's like, uh, it's transitioned like a lot of people who had fantasy football as a hobby before, but they just played in like the league with their buddies. Well, now they can do their league with their buddies and get $500 down in a bunch of different drafts and like take it a little bit more seriously. I think it's completely revolutionized like the content providing market. And it's only expanding from here. Like, you know, Jeremy Levine's on one of his seven yachts planning a live underdog draft championship at some point for everyone. Uh, this is something Rich Rebar says every year. And it's it's so true. And I first started like seven years ago. It's that the space is never as small as it is now, as in it only grows our industry literally every single year, whether it be sports betting, whether it be best ball, whether it be redraft, like it's only small this year and it just gets larger every single year. Um, and we're seeing that now. We saw it last year with FFPC live drafts. I know you don't like to leave your house basically, no, unless it's to put AirPods in and go to the range. So you didn't 100%. come. You didn't come, I know you too well. Uh, you didn't come to Vegas, but even last year for the live Vegas drafts, man, what a time, uh, what a showing. And now it's gotten to the point where we had some people last year come out, um, not to draft, but just, just hang out. And I think that's what we'll be getting more and more of eventually until they want to dabble their toes in the high stakes realm. And it's just fun. It's literally just fun to be there and to be at the event on Thursday night and watch live football with everyone uh, as you're in a Ric Flair t-shirt and Overzet's scheming pictures of you as Zeke just gets stuffed at the one yard line. But no, it's just a lot of fun to be there. And so, yeah, everything's just growing, man. It's expanding. Yeah. And, uh, you know, honestly too, it, like, uh, it, 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 uh, the underdog stuff did all dovetail with like pandemic stuff. Cause people are mm -hmm. just fucking bored, you know, stuff is closed, you know, you, you're not going to concerts or whatever. And it's like, that was a, that was like a great way to harness that wave of like, for, you know, some people got into NFTs, some people started playing online poker and some people are like, I just am grinding the hell out of best ball mania on underdog. So that, that is like a, that is like a cool thing that came yeah. out of all of that. We got Underdog and we got Tiger King during the pandemic and the right one stuck around, thankfully. Uh, did you watch the second Tiger King? They, they no. like, they, I didn't no. watch it either. Cause it was such a, it was such a, like a, a moment in time. It's like, I'll never, I don't, I'll never want to return to it. I'll never want to rewatch it. I had no interest in watching the second thing that they did. What a, what a crazy thing that that, uh, we're, we are literally recording this on the two year anniversary of Rudy Gobert touching all the microphones. That's incredible uh, that, you know, in our attention spans have gotten so short that when someone's canceled, like we forget about it two days later now, but that's something that we need to frame and like, make sure we I remind know. everyone every single year. And I understand the apologies and all that. Uh, but just how, how like little we knew about it, me included, by the way, uh, I wasn't going to rub mics at any point, but genuinely just how like lags of days ago, we took the conversation to where we are now is incredible. It is. It's so funny. So, right. So that, that the weekend before that Mayo and I recorded, cause I was going on vacation that mm -hmm. week. I was going to Chicago for a week and Pat Mayo and I recorded a whole show right as we were starting to get like reports of cases in the United States and Canada. And we were kind of just talking about that, you know, whatever stuff in the news, whatever. And we both realized by the time we had it scheduled to be published, that it was like so bad and our takes were so inaccurate and we just never published it. It never even, it never even came out because it did. It just changed that fast. Like it was so wild. At least you had the wherewithal to do that. Uh, some people I'm sure would have still posted it and we would be laughing about it to this day.
Yeah, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad we avoided that. Um, so I mean that 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 was a that was one of our our talking points is I I think that underdogs specifically, but really just like I mean because best ball has been around forever. We've had you know that that real grinders remember MFL tens, which were. Uh, but I I think that this recent like last year two year wave it's it's the most significant advancement in fantasy football since whenever people started awarding a point for receptions, I think it's, it, it, it's impossible to understate how big of a change it's been for the space. I completely agree. Uh, this is something Todd from PA is very good at and Twitter is deciphering like the scoring differences because he's been around long enough to be in the streets of MFL. And when you've done that and you can see just scoring differences, we are also fortunate enough to like have friends in both in all the spheres. So we know like the whales at FFPC, the whales at underdog and whatnot. And so it's just good to know like how people draft, but yeah, it's been revolutionary. I don't know what the next thing is. Uh, If I did, I'd be creating content or building a business for and around it already. But nonetheless, like I said, it's just, it's actually considered small right now. It's only going to get bigger every year. Yeah, no, it it is. And, and, um, you know, I guess this was, this kind of reminds me of like early DFS. One of the things we, we would all talk about early DFS was like, oh, you know, what if ESPN launches uh, a fantasy game, like a Mm -hmm. DFS game and Yahoo did you know, never really took off. CBS did, it's already gone. Uh, so that, you know, it, it did never really create a big impact in that space. But I do wonder if ESPN, CBS, you know, any of these, you know, mega multi-billion multinational corporations is, is pondering the launching of a best ball game. Because I mean, DraftKings and FanDuel offer the best ball games, but they're not nearly as popular in the content space. I mean, they get filled up by the users on those platforms, but like people are not doing specific DraftKings best ball content the way they are for underdog. I'm still pushing for uh, fantasy individuals or scouts in analysis booths. And I think it actually becomes more and more viable. This may be pipe dream, but becomes more viable as the contracts in that industry get higher and higher. Uh, so much so that, you know, we saw that Fox didn't even counter Troitman's offer. They just said, we'll go a different direction. No big deal from ESPN. So the more millions these channels are playing, uh, someone's going to have to pivot at some point and say, well, what can we get for, you know, X amount? Even if it's like significantly less than a million, uh, they can just call one of us, Davis, and we could be at a booth. We could do preseason games. We can do it from home now, given the technology, they can send anything, but most of the time our cameras and audio is just fine. So yeah, I think that's kind of the direction I think we'll be going here in the next couple of years. Uh, I know also like we've tried the fantasy channel year round, but remember we did that when it was just redraft. And so like filling that content is very hard for a channel going 24 seven in the off season. But now with best ball, perhaps that is in the range of outcomes, especially with sports betting becoming more prominent, more legal and more States. So yeah, uh, the next idea, it's something certainly I would love to figure out. You know, that is my, my like dream, my, like my, like big dream in life would be to do play by play or, or color. Actually, I'd be way better at really than play. Yeah. Like if I could, if I could, have my if I could really have my druthers and and truly have the job that I want it would be you know doing what Romo does for for CBS effectively I did it at 
Texas A&M in college because I thought that is the path I wanted to go. But then I think literally within a couple months of doing it, uh, play by play, it was dread. It was dreadful. Like Dread- I hated, hate, I hated doing it. I hated doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I eventually figured out that sports radio, which of course just became podcasting and writing, um, that's the direction I was eventually going to want to go because that was more fun. It was just a more relaxed schedule. And and maybe like maybe that's a thing where like I I think I really want to do it now. But actually, I have, I mean, probably at the end of the day, I have more fun doing this. Like, probably at the end of the day, I'm probably doing the profession that I should be doing. Like, do, uh, like do you know both. what I mean? Do yeah. it all. Do both. It would, uh, but I don't have any interest in doing, like, you know, uh, college, you know, high school football here in St. Louis or whatever. Like, I, I, I you know, it's like, or, or you know, D3 uh, men's baseball or whatever. Like, if I want to do it, I want to do it for real. Uh, see, I would actually be more interested in a low budget produce like AAF or XFL game. I think that would be a lot of fun because I know those players. I not only know their profiles, but I pretty much know their history, whether they've had a cup of coffee and with which teams in the NFL. And so that's where I would be interested in, especially as a third guy in the booth, but the play by play, uh, hopefully we end up together. That means you can do it. And then I can just spin off the analysis of the game. hundred percent. If anyone from the USFL the XFL next year. Oh, we're if, here. If uh, I slide d- davismatic at gmail.com slide in I, I, XFL XFL play by play is so right up my alley. Like give and takes on Jeff Fadette and Jordan Ta'amu hundred percent. Could Who's not going, be more interested. I don't know if that's going to work with uh, having X amount in the DraftKings lobby. Maybe we have to scale that down, but who's going to know more than the people with the skin of the game. The answer is you won't. It'll be us. Yeah, hundred percent. I do you do you um like do you get do you like actually enjoy and like the the spring football leagues? Because I I have like I really enjoyed the XFL. I went they 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 had a team here. I went to the only home game that the Battle Hawks <laughs> ever played before uh, coronavirus canceled their season. But I was super into it. It was awesome. So. AEF, I will say, actually loved. Um, and we got some prominent players from the AEF. Uh, there were actually amazing defenders there as well. Remember, we had Keith Reeser Island, who was actually like a lockdown corner in the AAF. But my issue with the XFL was that the, the players they selected, their production of football, in my opinion, it was it was terrible, uh, especially compared to the AAF. Well, so, two, two of the teams were really bad. Um, the New York team and one of the other teams were just like, like they couldn't string together like an offense. It was really bad. Also, like PJ Walker was technically our XFL MVP, but like when you look at his splits and you shouldn't be looking like at advanced XFL splits, I know that, but like he couldn't throw to his left. Like he would literally only throw to his right to one receiver every time and that's it. So it's just funny to see that those things having said that even though uh donald parham like was the true godsend yeah we we knew the entire time with the desperado was it desperados uh renegades Um, renegades yeah yeah we knew the entire time he was definitely going to the nfl if only for his size and athleticism yeah no uh donald parham that i will i will never forget i will never forget where we where we found him that and and he's gonna be i think he's gonna have a chance to get unleashed this year Right. I mean, they, I don't know. They, well, they'll probably draft a wide receiver, but I think we'll see Parham get unleashed because Cook is going to be 35. It was also different uh, DFS wise for XFL just because, like, a big production, a big market, and DraftKings took it on. Whereas, like, with AAF, Fanball, I don't know if you played actually. Uh, did you ever play AAF Fantasy? 
no, no. I, okay. I, I was in, a, I was in a season long league that, uh, that's someone, amazing that someone set up, but I didn't, uh, I have a fan ball account, but I, I did not play. All you needed was Trent Richardson every single week. That's all you needed. Start him, uh, from the Birmingham Irons. Some, I can't, I, that sounds, I think you're right. I think I can't remember, uh, but yeah, it, the, the high, it's so funny because the high stakes games, literally the highest they offer was $200 five mans and every five man, literally everyone was me, John Proctor, Silva, Osimo and a Raven, just, just all of us swapping each other's money every single week. It was the dumbest activity ever. Yeah. I mean, that is uh that's kind of the, um that's kind of the secret of all niche sports is that it's the same guys. I mean, I, I have not played uh high stakes MLS in a while, but that's what it used to be. Like when I play mm-hmm. like 109s and stuff for MLS, it would be, Oh, this guy who listens to the pod, he's going to, he's going to be sad. I forgot his name. Cause we were kind of buddies, but there was this one guy who was a, who was um, uh, a fantasy insider subscriber, I think way back in the day and, and blender. And then we were the only ones who would ever play uh, the MLS games, which was just very funny, but that is the, that's the, the dirty little secret of uh, all niche sports is that it's like the same six guys you're playing against. Yeah. I think we all play more than most people know about. Uh, like I, I play in the mid to high stakes UFC tournaments every single week. Um, and that's, that's honestly just because uh, I'm friends with a lot of sharp individuals who bet UFC. And to me, in my experience, betting and DFS UFC overlaps the most. It correlates the most because it's pretty much, you can add in your own game theory, knowing what everyone's going to do. But like the the breakdown of this person is going to knock this person out in round one or two. Like, so we're betting round one or two. Oh, well then I need that in my DK lineup because that's like 150, 160 points if it's a round one or two finish. And so that overlaps the most, but that's really the the most I play beyond NFL and then golf in that order. Yeah, so I, I, did, I did for sure want to talk to you about golf because golf betting is the best. Like mm-hmm. uh, with, without a doubt, hitting, there's no feeling... Even even NFL futures, there is nothing like hitting a golf outright. I mean, it is, and, and of course, it's not the most, you know, plus EV way to approach golf betting. Like grinding head to heads and three balls and stuff is going to be uh, a, a little bit better. But golf outrights, if I could only, if I could only choose, like, you know, my 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 sports book provider was like, you can bet on one market. I'd be like golf outrights, no doubt, hundred percent. Agree completely. That the issue. I can already tell the industry's having. It's had for a little bit, but uh, we need to do a better job. And this is something we're trying to do. Shameless plug at betsportsgolf.com. Um, we're trying to to explain unit sizing better. It's so much easier like in football, right? It's one unit, half a unit, whatever. Yeah. You, you know what your bet, do the math very quickly. But whenever there's a pool of 159, 160 golfers and you're betting literally one to win in the most volatile sport ever, the volatility is what makes DFS amazing because chalk, every information is information, right? So like chalk, you don't really care about playing that person. It's about taking in the information, knowing who's chalk and then how you're going to combat it or leverage off it since the sport of golf in general is so volatile. Anyone who's picked up a golf club knows how volatile it is. Uh, You know, I think who was it? Maybe Jim Nance one time on CBS said greatness is earned and then you give it back. And that's all it is. Like consistency is the hardest thing ever in golf. And so like to chase a chalky individual out of a pool of 160 every week is ridiculous. You just fade him. Uh, So that's why betting, it's just, we need to be better at explaining how to bet what we're betting and why. And so that's something we're trying to work on right now. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's also, it's uh, it's pretty easy to go through uh, a fallow period in embedding golf outrights. Uh, oh, in, yeah. In 2019, I didn't win one. and did not, I, I didn't, I did not hit a single golf outright in, in 2019. And it, it was like, just, I was like, it made me fall, <laughs> it made me like fall out of love. And also, uh, very famously, did not bet Keith Mitchell at 250 to one at the Honda Classic when he won. And mm-hmm. Colin Drew and I had said on our podcast, we're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like you should probably get down on that. And that is like, that'll drive you absolutely nuts. Is like when a guy you like who goes off at like a crazy number wins. And I mean, it's the worst. And also betting outrights and not top fives and the guy T2s, T3s or whatever. That's also very miserable. I got one under my belt. Fortunately, I had the Tom Hoagie outright, uh, his second go round, which <laughs> Uh, this is something because Denny you, Carter. You know that's you know that's my guy, right? You know he's you know he's been on this show. Really, I did not know that. Yeah. I, I know I know you've had some football players around. Um, so did he mention that his nickname on tour is Tommy Tables? No, no, that might didn't. this might be off the record. Uh, so uh, well, we've gone to this road already. Um, it's not yeah. bad. Gotta uh, do but it. but no, um. Yeah, that's apparently from a, a good uh, professional gambling buddy of mine. Tommy Hoagie is known as Tommy Tables because he's a degenerate craps player, which that's why he's my favorite player. Like, how can I not root for Tommy Tables? It's amazing. And so, yeah. of course, he of course he took down the tournament. Because um, remember, a couple of weeks before then, he blew his lead. Uh, and those are yep. the kind of moments, right, that golfers really need uh, to understand, like, how to win. And that's why it's kind of the same group you see winning over and over again. And that's why we play the same guys over and over again. But, yeah, uh, it was a big win for Tommy Hoagie. So I got one, my one 2022 notch under my belt so far. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. He also said on this show that Pebble Beach, where he won, was his favorite golf course. And I didn't bet oh. him. Oh, that's yeah all right that's all on you that's your fault. The, no it's all on me i mean the the number was just bad though like it like I, he he was like he was like 60 to 1 at that event or whatever and i i mostly like not that i am some you know numbers whiz or whatever uh but i i mostly just go off of data golf's numbers which is sort of an interesting thing because the sports books also just copy data golf's numbers and um, I just remember, I remember just going through my card that week and being like, oh, data golf is, is not in on Hoagie here, but, uh, obviously, obviously it, regretting that one. It is really fun though, because, uh, as great, not good, great of a job that Pat Mayo, Rick run good, Andy lack, like all those guys are doing tremendous golf work, um, golf hacks in the sphere. Uh, the space is still missing a few things that I've noticed from NFL DFS and NFL fantasy. And one of those I think is actually uh, lineup construction and more importantly, game theory. Um, just spending more time on that rather than talking about, you know, anyone can tout a win. If you talk about 75 or 80 golfers, that's not impressive whatsoever. And so to get the lineup construction, right, which ownership is a lot harder to pin, at least, especially early in the season and in golf. But right now that's sort of what we're working on uh, at Betts Golf. We actually just did our first DFS show on Tuesday afternoon. And just to come to the table with those ideas and talk about it as if it's NFL DFS, as if we know how people are building and then what our leverage is. I think that's like really interesting and fun to talk about just something new in golf, honestly. Well, and um, you know, the field has just gotten so much better yeah, at, at PGA DFS. I mean, the field's gotten so much better at everything because there's so much good info available in every sport. But not as good as NFL yet. Uh, oh, no, not even close. 
not even not even but nfl though was fun in its own right because it became a game within a game like um i i fortunately snuck into the green at the end of the year uh which usually it's like the sharks that come in and pound at the end of the year but this year it was really just about playing the game within the game understanding that this is the example i used in season at the nbc podcast but understanding that a player like mike williams is a better tournament play and Keenan Allen's the cash game play until everyone realizes Mike Williams is the better tournament play and thus he becomes a bad tournament play because he's too highly rostered. And that's sort of the mind games. We were all playing against each other in the same tournaments. And uh, I, as tough as it was, I genuinely fell in love with it. Yeah. And I mean, NFL DFS is extremely a game within a game because of the, you know, the, the textures of ownership and all that stuff and, and how ownership changes in you know, because because people do ownership projections for the millionaire maker. Any any site you go to, it's for large field stuff. It's not going to be for the stuff that I like to play, which is you know the fifty hundred two hundred dollars single entry stuff. Those are and and ownership really condenses in those formats. Like the best plays, you know, get jammed up even more. But it it's true in golf that um, cumulative ownership has gotten way better at actually predicting results. Like ownership is correlated more to fantasy golf points scored year over year uh our our uh you might not know him our our buddy nelson adcock runs um cut sweats and, and posts like lots of simulations and stuff and he tracks this stuff like he he runs sims of like um all the all the showdown contests and and posts a lot of them on twitter and, and basically what he's found is just like it's very hard it's very hard in golf right now to make really good plus EV lineups with lower owned guys. Cause a lot of the times the lower owned guys are lower owned for a reason. Whereas like, I remember some PGA DFS stuff from years past where it would be like, Oh, if a guy was a home member at this golf course, he'd be like 17% on like, it would just be totally anecdotally driven things. That's incredible. Uh, I feel like I have the title of the person in the industry who has had a drink with the most people mostly because that's what happens when you uh, live in your car and drive around the entire country from coast Facts. to coast four, four different times and don't stay in your house or just go to the range with earbuds on. But uh, he deserve, he just earned a follow for me because that sounds incredible. I did not know any of that stuff, but uh, I'm interested in learning. Yeah. I mean, he might make you, he might make you kind of discouraged about, about DFS sometimes, but he's, <laughs> it's like, okay. he, he's a mega knit. He's a mega knit. Nelson, if you're listening, you're a knit. So uh, if, if uh, I've lasted this long uh, through DFS Twitter, now through crypto Twitter, through whatever the next thing is, uh, trust me, like nothing gets to me on Twitter. I'm impenetrable now. How many times have you seen rounders? A bunch. So Coming out of college, I played professional poker for a couple of years because I wasn't happy with any of the job offers I had. And I used to play in the very shitty sushi spot in Huntsville, Texas. I'm not going to say the exact name because the ring game may still be going on, but like behind the curtain. Uh, and it was, it, was an, it was so much fun. But also what I say, I played pro poker. Just know like it was me driving from Dallas, Texas to Thackerville, Oklahoma to the poker room casino that you could play when you're 18 years and up, um, cash games. It was not like the sexy Chris Moneymaker right. playing high stakes tournaments at all. It was Joey Kanish of Rounders. And I say that because I used to watch Rounders quite often. The best. Uh, totally blew my mind. Joey Kanish. I, uh, what's, his, what's his name? John, John Turturro. Is that his name? Yes, is, it's John Turturro, who is also in Batman. Yes. That's what I was just getting ready to say is I just saw Batman this weekend and... He was, he's Carmen Falcone. And I was like, 
one, that's great casting, but two, I just love seeing Nish pop up in any movie. Like that's always going to make it for me. So I went in completely unaware of who was in the cast outside of uh, Robert Patterson. I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah, of course. And so the entire time I had no idea who the Joker voice was. And then like to discover it's Paul Dano at the end. I was like, Oh, this is, this is a lot of fun. This is great. Uh, I had a good time. No spoilers here for everyone, but um, even me who like, isn't a big comic book guy, I was only there because I love the Christopher Nolan Batmans, which yeah, seemed, as, the best. seemed as true to life as we're going to get with superheroes. I went for that. Uh, this Batman is basically a murder mystery and it's fun as hell. Yeah, it is. It was, uh, that was the best movie I've seen in a long time. It was, uh, are you a are you a Jason Bond uh, J- James Bond guy? Have you seen Have you seen the most recent Bond movie? I am not. My partner and her dad are huge James Bond people, and they they sit me down to watch them because I'm a big fan of shitty action movies. So you would think I would love James Bond. It almost just like takes itself too serious though. Like I need John Wick. I need Fast and the Furious. Uh, James Bond is almost like. It's trying to be cool, and I don't think it's cool. A lot of people do. Be happy. No big deal. Uh, but it's not for me. I went back, I went back and rewatched all of them after seeing No Time how to Die. How many other? There are a lot, right? There's a lot. I think there's 28. Uh, Good God. So I made, I over like four or five months, I went, I went through and, and watched all of them. Uh, not necessarily a journey I would like recommend people, uh, you know, going on or whatever. Like it's fine. Uh, but I, I have a new appreciation for them and and uh, some of those a couple of the older ones are just like really good movies like uh like here and there they just get like really good so i was forced to watch tomorrow never dies and that's Casino- like the worst one tomorrow tomorrow <laughs> okay, never well, tomorrow never dies is like the worst one well maybe that's why they forced me to watch it because it's about to be their favorite and then uh casino royale which i've heard is one of the best ones is really good yeah and, and, you know like alcohol poker we're up i heard that i heard riverboat it's like oh we're speaking my language right exactly Um, but you know it's still it's still james bond it's okay not it's not bad it's just not for me look it's you know that's great all right same 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 line of thought what is what is your desert island book or or people ask you for a book recommendation what's your go-to oh gosh um so i'm a big believer in that like the self-help books are amazing i hate that title the genre oh i love i love uh you know the power positive thinking type yeah Yeah, i I love i eat that shit up so so i i do have some favorites of those but also like for someone who doesn't read i'm a big reader um and i i just like stories because i'm a writer so i love stories but like i understand that people don't like reading and so i would suggest like don't read you know atomic habits or uh, when I think is an amazing productive book as well. Like ignore those, like just find something you think is kick-ass and start with that. And then maybe you might get into a space where you want to read more. Uh, but for me, like, I think some of the cliche, there are quite a few actually, some of the cliche answers are, have you ever read the Russian novel, Master and the Margarita? No, no. It's written, it was written in like 1940. I think it was published around like 1970. Yeah, I love, I, I love, I love, I mean, I, I'm a huge reader too. So I'm always down for Oh, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's definitely like uh, deemed as one of the best novels of all time. It's as, as serious as it takes itself. It's actually a lot of satire. So I would suggest that one. And it's not too long of a read. Uh, if you want a long one, an intimidating piece of literature, I think the go-to answer is always Infinite Jest, which I've read one time. Oh shit. I didn't even see that. Have you actually read it or do you just have it? No, I read it. I read, okay. I've read, I've read all his books. So yes, um, I have heard you should read it like literally every 
four to five years. The issue is like, I can't imagine as much as I loved it. I can't imagine sitting down and reading Infinite Jest again. I don't think, much, I, I don't think I ever will. Cause no, it's I read so it fucking long. It is, it is nightmarishly long. I, I want to say it took me four months to read probably. It, it's supposedly one of those ones where you pick it up and read it again. And it's, it's about something new because you've grown as a person five years down the road. And so those are the experiences I like the most, but I, can't say I'm going to get to it. And then um, I'm also a big on the road or I'm big Jack Kerouac fan. Yeah. So yeah. Um, more so than Hunter Thompson, it's very similar, but also uh, Jack Kerouac's clearly more wanderlusty. So Dharma bums on the road. Um, I think the Silver Linings playbook book, as cliche as it is, uh, it's just genuinely all about mental health. It's not about a movie. It's not about Robert De Niro betting a hundred bucks on the Eagles and getting very pissed at his son. It's just straight up about mental health issues. It's fucking an amazing book. And then I think the best one I have read, well, first of all, Cormac McCarthy is my favorite author. Uh, very big fan, all the pretty horses. I think Blood Marine is his favorite book. Yeah, Blood even though if, it's, if someone asked which one I should read, it would be either the road even though oprah kind of took that and made her her own yeah it sucks it sucks that the road is like uh like a a, a white women's book club book it's so obvious she chose that one too because it's literally the only cormac mccarthy novel that ends in happiness the rest of his books evil wins out which makes him such a fucking amazing like for, western for, literature for people, writer for people who don't know cormac mccarthy wrote the book no country for old men bingo um, that's the yeah. one i was going to tell everyone to read because even anton Chigurh is like a much more evil figure he's like the joker in the dark knight than he is the movie he's bad in the movie but in the book he's just pure walking evil and it's incredible to to hear and read all the details that go into every single one of his scenes um but no the best book i've read in the last five years ready player one do not watch really the movie. yeah um okay. i think it's i think it's incredible and maybe it's because it was fun like it, it was a it was a such a big step away from any self-help positive speaking book. It was just nostalgia because, you know, I was born in 87. So all the pop culture references, even war games, like my dad, I used to watch with him a lot. Uh, I thought it was, and I don't play video games anymore because I say I don't have time. Uh, maybe it's just, I use it for other things. Uh, I, I envy people who still play video games. I think they're awesome. So like just to sit there and basically read a video game, I thought was so much fun. I've read it twice actually in the last two years. Uh, don't watch the movie. And don't read Ready Player Two. Those are my only requirements. So I I have not read Ready Player One, but I I get the sense that it's kind of in the same uh, science fictiony storytelling vein as Ender's Game. Have you read that? Yes, um, I think it's significantly better. Okay. Uh, Ernest Ernest Klein just writes differently. It's not pretentious at all. Uh, it, yeah, or, if anything, I Orson think, Scott Card sucks. That is something that's something that <laughs> uh, that I found out as an adult. Which is what they don't tell you about J.R.R. Tolkien. It's like actually, he's just kind of a shitty writer. Yeah. Oh, well, I read I read all the Ender books. There's like there's like uh, eight of them, and I read them all when I was younger. Um, mm -hmm. And finding out that Orson Scott Card sucks is as an adult was not great, well, but I, I would still recommend Ender's Game to people. It's, it's not that he sucks. It's, uh, it's what we see in, you know, in our industry and anything really where um, communication in its easiest form is the best communication. Like you don't have to sound smart. You can sound dumb. And uh, I think Artist Klein does a really good job of that, of just making it really fun and making it to where, you know, it's good writing is magical. It should like be painted on the page. It has a rhythm to it, like an orchestra. And it's kind of like that where it's like, you don't stop because every word, every syllable is in place for a reason. There's nothing out of place. And so that's why I love it so much. I would say you should definitely go read it because 
I know what kind of books you like. And having said that, I do need to confront you because this is not fair to you, but I always secretly, because I'm, I'm logged in for better or worse all the time. Uh, okay. You may not know it, but I'm just on all the time. And Same. so I always, I always steal book recommendations. I see someone say something. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I respect that person's opinion. I'll go read it. Uh, I picked up Dune. And, yeah. and you didn't like it? Oh, buddy. Oh man, my girl, my girlfriend was laughing at me because she knows I don't like Star Wars, and uh, yeah, she's like, "You fucking read this book, even though you hate Star Wars. It's literally just Star Wars. It's literally just." And I was Star like, Wars. "I was yeah. like, I didn't know. What do you want me to do?" So I literally read the whole thing, and I was like, "That sucked. I'm not gonna ever read that trilogy ever." So, so uh, I will. I let me let me let me push back on this. Um, so the thing about the thing you have to remember when you're reading Dune is all the things that are Star Warsy in it. He wrote this when they when Star Wars wasn't even a twinkle in uh, George Lucas's eyes. And secondly, uh, I th and maybe I'm just saying this because I read the 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 next two books, but it it the like the a lot of the core like political messages and and uh, you know the major thematic elements of the book like still ring very true today. Like uh like things about um, you know communication between. Uh, between different groups of people and and you know conserving the, the planet and things like that. I don't know. And 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 also I, I we talked about this last week with Mail. I can also enjoy things that are critically not that good and and just enjoy them for what they are. And that's so, true of that's true of movies and of books. To be fair, I think the ignorance is on me because I don't like that style anyway. So I should have known I wasn't gonna like it. But I read it not realizing this is also when you live a life like me, Davis, and you just uh, you just go forward, you don't think about it. You're like, who cares? Like, what's the worst that happens? I don't like right. a book. I still get sure. reading in. Like, I still make myself smarter, technically. Right. Um, and so I don't ask questions. I go into Batman. I don't know anything about it. I just watch it. Hey, that's a kick-ass movie. Uh, I, yeah, I read a book that I knew if I scoped out before, I wouldn't. I would just wasn't gonna like. It wasn't for me. And so I I don't want to say it sucks. It's just not for me. It's not personally what I seek out. I'll I will still I'll still recommend Dune. To, to the people despite your despite your misgivings um, <laughs> i will not and also i saw the movie on the uh, best films list i will not be watching it because it's probably the same thing no honestly honestly the movie is way less star warsy um okay. yeah i i thought i thought the movie was really good too um dharma bums on the road for i mean i've read uh, most of jack kerouac's novels yep. they're all they're all did you read um the hippos are boiled in their tanks. The one that the one that he and Burroughs did writing every every other chapter. I did. Yes, that is uh, that. That's a that's another great one. It's kind of hard to find. I don't know if I have outgrown him now. It's been a while since I read him, but I also used to be a big Chuck Pal uh, Chuck Palahniuk fan, a uh, Fight Club author. Um, I but again, they were different books at those times. I was growing up in college. So I don't know if the writing's good. I don't know if I don't even know if Fight Club the book's entertaining anymore. I have no idea. Yeah, uh, I I I I mean I read it when I was like fourteen and was like perfectly uh you know like you're we, like, we were angry enough teens. Yeah, we were still rebelling yeah. at that time. Now I just don't give a shit. Yeah, um, now, I don't, I don't have any emotion I anymore. I don't know uh, if it. I don't know if it would hit as good because now. because I would say like if. It wouldn't even be Fight Club, honestly, uh, or Choke. Choke was also good. But I mean, uh, I think the best horror book I've ever read was Haunted by Him. And it was one of his earlier ones. And it was literally just about a group of writers who jump on a bus, get taken to an isolated cabin, 
and it's a retreat and they have to finish their book before they leave the cabin. And it goes into the backstories of why they're there. And then like some shit goes down. But uh, back in the day, I used to read that book all the time. I just, it's been, it's been like eight years since I last read it. I don't know if it'd be good to my personality anymore. I, I get that. I get that a lot. I mean, I, I've read loads and loads of science fiction and uh, the thing about science fiction is like, you got to be, you got to be into it and you got to sub- submit yourself to the, uh, the universe. Cause a lot of science fiction, if you're not ready for it, it's just going to be really bad. I'm not, I'm not a big horror novel guy or horror movies either. Have you read, I know we're getting off the subject again, we could just talk about this all day. Uh, have you read War Cross and Dark Matter? Because those are science fiction novels you should probably read. No, but I, I will, I will put them on. I mean, I just have a continually evolving uh, list of books, so I will, I'll do it right now. Right now, I'm reading a truly, truly bad Star Wars novel, like really bad, <laughs> like like an F minus. But I, I, you know, you commit to a series of books, and then the new book. I mean, it's really bad though. So I'm not, I'm not uh, even, gonna, I'm not even going to suggest finding new books really and finding bad. new music is still something I struggle with uh, nowadays. If it doesn't come across the tiny desk YouTube channel. I'm just not discovering your music. It's, it's literally that simple. Dude, that is like a, that is like a very real thing that you don't realize about getting older. But like, you know, the, the jokes people make on Twitter when there's like, uh, you know, like when they see the Lollapalooza, you know, festival stuff and they're mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know any of these people. Like I I'm now the age where that's happening to me. It's like, I, I don't know any of these people. You got to be a part of NPR. Otherwise I'm just not catching you. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, it's, you know, it's not a great thing about being old, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm now to the age where it's like, I like what I like and that's, and that's fine. It's fine. that I'm still listening um, to the same, to the same songs I was listening to when I was 20. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that's sort of what it went into my, you know, the decision to, to part, mutually part with the NBC was, was kind of known for like two years. But uh, I remember when, when it first became official, like early on this last season and Roto Pat, Pat Darty, of course, uh, texted me and he just, and I, I gave out this list. I was just explaining everything to him, why I'm leaving. Um, you know, a lot of it just had to do with, you know, freedom. We could talk about that forever too. But, uh, but really it just came down to, I explained some things to him and he wrote back, like, I thought you liked player news and, I do like there's still times where I get geared up to like yell about a player. I think it's it's, right. it's exciting, but also like I don't think people know, like listen to themselves enough. Uh, and it's just like I could tell just by waking up and getting on news, I wasn't having fun anymore. And I, I can't explain why. I still have no idea why. But uh, the fact that it was becoming miserable was sort of a sign to to get out of there. Um, and so that's just like it was just like an ever changing, ever evolving me. And I can't explain again. I I want to know why. Um, but that's, that's something I think people should honestly just do more. It's like, just understand that if you don't want to do this anymore, or you don't like doing this anymore, you don't have to just follow it, literally just follow that feeling and just see what the hell's on the other side. I mean, I think, uh, I think that's something that lots of people struggle with is like, you know, being your, like being comfortable in your, your job, your routine, your life Mm -hmm. versus like, you know, like, I, and, and, you know, I'm kind of one of those people that's like, you know, I'm not really always like, I'm, I'm comfortable not chasing like a dream or a huge goal. Cause like my life is my, my life. Is, <laughs> I know I, what you mean, but when you say it like that, it's just it sounds, sounds so depressing. It sounds, it sounds yeah. fucked up. Right. Yeah. Like, but like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, saying like this podcast is going to be the number one podcast in sports and I'm going to write an amazing but like I like I I don't even know if I have like a desire to be see dude you know, like Jonathan Bales or whatever. 
we're the total opposite because uh, my drive is what's going to bury me. It's going to kill me. Um, I'm like, I'm unhappy with everything. Like, it's just like, I want everything to be the absolute best. And it's literally going to kill me, Davis. It's going to, yeah. See, me. I'm not, I'm not like that at all. I mean, I want to do it. I want to do a good job. I want to, I want to, I know, totally know what you mean. Yes. I, I want to totally take, take pride in what I do and, and, you know, interact with people who like my work and stuff. But uh, like, I mean, you know, a huge part of the way I, I view the world is like, my life is actually pretty inconsequential. I, I am just, uh, you know, some, some uh, organic matter, like, like a, a very Buddhist sort of way of viewing life, which is that in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we are nothing, we are but, we are but a, a, a speck of dust in, in the grand universe and, and that type of. You understand that 99% of your decisions literally don't matter. Don't matter. Consequential. Yes, this yeah. is it. This is why I let friends pick like, the tea times is why I let girlfriend pick the restaurants. Um, all of 100%. these decisions, if I, I can, I can calculate quicker whether that decision matters or not, then I can what the decision is. And it, most of the time I just get to the, I stop at the first step. It's like, this doesn't matter. So just do it. And uh, yeah, I'll do it from there. It's that simple. Cause it's not going to matter whatever the coin flip comes back on. Uh, like that, that, that is really what it is, right? That it, it, it it's, it's that it's like, these are very small things that could like, there are so many small things over the course of your day that you could get worked up about that could, you know, fuck with your mental health, your physical health, like whatever. And it's just so much easier to zoom out and be like, actually these things don't really matter at all. You speak about uh, books and mental health. Um, you know, mental health is why I literally hit the road like speaking yeah. of like opposite knowing who we are uh you know you stayed at home like you stay at home and like that because that's where you're most comfortable and you're happy 100 right? like, that's clearly not what was going on a lot of things going on um in connecticut but you know once we found out we weren't going to studios and i've told this on so many different pods yeah just hit the road and i went on a on matt kelly's uh show roto underworld and yeah. i was explaining the trips to him and he started talking to me about it and he said have you ever read travels with charlie and i was like no oh great uh, book so so he it's literally what i was minus the dog but like literally what i was doing and um i had this quote written down actually in front of me now because i think it's the most it's just it just was perfect uh it's it just explaining me it said when the virus of restlessness begins to take possession of a wayward man and the road away from here seems broad and straight and sweet, the victim must first find in himself a good and sufficient reason for going. This to the practical bum is not difficult. He has a built-in garden of reasons to choose from. Next, he must plan his trip in time and space, choose a direction and a destination. And last, he must implement the journey. How to go, what to take, how long to stay. This part of the process is invariable and immortal. And that's genuinely like... This is on the second page of the book that Kelly randomly told me about. And the moment I read that, I felt like I unlocked the keys to life. I was like, I just found out someone else has the same yearning that I do. That like happiness to me is not getting to a location within an hour on a flight, yeah. uh, which is normal, by the way. You should have that feeling. You want to make your time as sufficient as possible and be efficient. But to me, the extra three hours, the extra six hours it may take to drive somewhere and just be on the road on my yeah. own locked in with like a podcast or whatever dude like that's that is a happiness that i didn't even know existed and that's the feeling i want everyone to have uh but it's probably not going to be on the road because that's not normal feeling yeah i mean you know sometimes i do i do get that there are there are like um like specific like driving from um st louis to chicago or from 
Kansas city back to my hometown. Mm -hmm. Like those are, those are like road trips and like being on the road and being out there that I really enjoy. And like, I, I did, um, you know, when I was in college and stuff, I traveled all the time and I went, I went all over the country and stuff with, and, and all of that was really enjoyable. But I mean, I think the, the larger thing that you're speaking to is just like finding whatever that thing is for you, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever that thing is that, that releases the dopamine drip in your brain the right way. Like that's really what it's all about. Whatever the thing is that makes you not give a shit. That's the thing we are all yearning for. Uh, you know, when, when someone's homeless, like they usually don't have to worry about showtimes. I'll tell you what the most annoying, what the first world problem of living from your car was though, was that uh, still had to record two shows per week, wanted to record two shows per week, I should say last off season. And yeah. so you don't, the thing you don't think about though, when you're driving across the country, living from like hotels, Airbnb. You got to get car, some good Wi-Fi. Well, Wi-Fi, but also time zone because if your show is scheduled for 2 p.m we go live yeah. remember we went live at nbc and we're yep. going live at four for four and bets now uh if you go live like you may have to drive four hours left or right in order to change the time zone to yep. make checkout time work according to you that was the low light of the entire trip was figuring out my first world Fig- problems you know you know like very famously, like I fucking get time zones wrong all the time. I mean, this is a thing. <laughs> do, yeah. This is a thing that has been for and like I and like I feel like I have a good handle on it now. And then every once in a while, I'll get completely. It, it happened with me today when I was scheduling stuff with you. Is I was like I was thinking in my head like one o'clock, and then I was like, wait, nope, nope, to, to Eastern time. And then like and then I just get I just get fucked. It always gets me in New Mexico and Ohio, totally opposites, but like that's where I cannot remember if we're in Central or the other time zone. Or the other time uh, zone. Those are the those are the two states that get me whenever I'm traveling. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's get you out of here, bud. Let's uh, let's tell the people this is your this is your floor. Sign up for Betsperts. Why why should they do it? Where can they do it? What do they get? Gonna put on my sponsored jersey really let's quick. Do it. Yeah. To uh, tell well, the people. It, openly and transparently where to sign up for uh i don't know if we taught anyone anything in this hour but we had a good catch-up because we haven't caught up in a little bit that's the that's the goal man i I, i'm not i'm not always in the business of teaching people it's not it's not always my strong suit but like you said whatever makes us like to talk yeah uh right now we are launching literally this week betspurtsgolf.com we talked about golf betting a little bit during this show but you should know that right now for the next couple of weeks everything's free uh, and more importantly, 444.com, where all of my football stuff is now, uh, the available targets tracker and air yards for best ball content is up, being tracked every single day. Just ask me. Available carries trackers up right now. And more importantly, my free agent tracker is going to be up by Thursday afternoon, where all of my fantasy spin will exist until the end of March when I put the best ball tiers out. And by the way, if actually if you sign up for a 444 betting sub right now, uh, 169 bucks, I believe it is. You get bets first golf for free whenever it goes behind a paywall, and it's going to be significantly more than 169. So I think it's a great deal. Honestly, it's a great deal that you should take a part of. But yeah, all the shit's free right now. So go enjoy it. There we go, everyone. Not Jay Daigle, bets first, bets first golf, four for four. And uh, we'll we'll make sure we'll make sure to get you back. It won't be it won't be uh, another year before you're before you're back on program. Thanks well, for thanks for hanging be- out. 
to be honest, you used to bring me on the betting show and then you and Rich went like 25 and 0 and you just stopped telling everyone. And I, I agree with you. I don't blame you. Don't bring me on. Keep Rich going every week. I got, it was great. Uh, that, that, that was like, kind of like a, always like the highlight of my work week was knowing like, okay, we got it to Friday. Boom. Friday morning. I'm locked in. I'm locked Rich, in. With Reed, Rich was so. the white flag. It's like, we are good to go. We are done. Yeah. He's the man. Uh, all right, everyone. We're out of here. We'll be back next week. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.